It's uh, time now for the General Knowledge Podcast. It's Lee here from realnewsaustralia.com. This is bonus show number 18 for all my wonderful Patreon supporters out there. I love you all. Thank you so much for chipping in and helping me to provide you with these uh, bonus shows and, of course, keep the website going uh, and and getting everything done. uh, It does cost a bit of money to do all that sort of stuff, and you guys help alleviate uh, much of that cost, which is fantastic. And, of course, help me plan to push it and take it into uh, greater areas as well and expand the website in future. So that's what's all happening uh, on the uh, horizon for realnewsaustralia.com. But in the meantime, got another show for you wonderful folks out there. I've got bonus show, like I said, bonus show number 18 tonight. And uh, joining me this evening uh, is a lovely lady by the name of Wendy Lydell. And uh, I'll bring her into the conversation very shortly. But Wendy's written a book uh, not too long ago called Raising a Vaccine-Free Child. Uh, yeah, Raising a Vaccine-Free Child. And the second edition is available now as well for folks. Uh, this book provides parents with a comprehensive, scientifically-based guide to the facts, myths, problems, and solutions associated with raising a vaccine-free child. It helps parents protect their children both from the wiles of the vaccine industry and from harmful germs. There are no uh, trendy anti-vaccination myths. The information is fully referenced and factually based. The book explains the difference between the self-resolving childhood diseases like measles, chickenpox, mumps, which do not need intervention, and the non-self-resolving infectious diseases like polio, tuberculosis, tetanus, which do need holistic intervention to make them go away. The beneficial childhood diseases cannot be prevented by nutrition or hygiene, uh, uh, while the bad infectious diseases are preventable and treatable by holistic means. Doctors and nurses are trained to treat childhood diseases in ways that increase the risk of complications, and they are not taught about the many scientific studies that prove that childhood diseases reduce the risk of chronic diseases like cancer and heart disease in later life. In the detailed chapter on the myth of herd immunity, which is another topic I'd like to get into tonight as well, uh, raising a vaccine-free child reveals how the myth was concocted and empowers parents to withstand the accusation that their vaccine-free children 
are a threat to others. There are also chapters about the toxic ingredients and accidental contaminants in vaccines. The book demonstrates that the long-term consequences of vaccination have not been properly assessed at any time in any country, despite the vaccine industry having had over two centuries in which to collect such data. It demonstrates that even today, vaccines are not scientifically tested for safety before being licensed for use on the public. And that statement there is very prudent to what's happening right now, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the episode. Of course, I'm uh, leaning towards that COVID-19 vaccine that's been uh, pushed upon the public right now. But in lieu of that, we have, of course, Wendy here with us. G'day, Wendy. Thanks for coming aboard for the show tonight. I really do appreciate your time. Hi, Lee. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Now, you, where are you from? Are you a South African originally? That's what it sounds like. Originally South African, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can sort of sense that. I've got a couple of South African clients of mine, so I can sort of sense it in the accent there. Lovely. How long have you been uh, in Australia yeah. for? Um, 23 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So not, not most of your life then? You you spent most of it abroad back at home, I'm guessing? No, I also spent eight years living in New Zealand. Oh, okay. How did you find that? Is it worse than Australia or better? <laughs> <laughs> um, each place has its good points and its bad points. You know, no, mm. no place is perfect. Um, yeah. Both, both beautiful destinations, I must say. I've been to New Zealand twice before in my life, and I, uh, I would have definitely loved to go back one day, but I'm not sure how that's going to pan out for us on the on the horizon. So, <laughs> uh, with all that's happening at the moment, geez, oh, can't even travel anywhere, and they don't even want us to travel between states shortly without having a bloody vaccine. So, it's getting very real at the moment. Very real, We're getting ramped up. Mm. Um, but anyway, oh. we'll, we'll, we might tackle a little bit of that further on in the uh, in the episode. But for now, I just wanted you to, to sort of tell the folks a little bit about yourself, uh, and then we'll start to get into the reasons uh, you, you put this book together. So, who is who is Wendy Lytle? Um, well, I was living, I was born and lived in South Africa, and my first child and second child were born in South Africa at the time that apartheid was um, still prevailing, mm. and. Because because it was a police state, there was no rule of law. Um, the two vaccines were compulsory, and I was intending to not have them. If, if no vaccine had been compulsory, I just would have ignored the whole issue and got on with my life. But because these two were compulsory, I started looking into it in case I had to appear in court and state my case as to why I wasn't vaccinating. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I started doing the research, and I was absolutely horrified by what I learned about how bad vaccination is. Wow, that's full on. I didn't realize it was so serious over there that, um, they, you know, they wanted, could have pulled you up in front of the magistrate and, and, you know, and kind of slapped a, a, what, a fine or locked you up or something if you didn't vaccinate these children. That's that's incredible. Yes, and the, re- the reason why it didn't happen was because the white population was 20% of the population. And the government only vaccinated the white population. And at the time, the um, international community was applying sanctions to South Africa to try and get rid of apartheid. And so the government didn't want to make an example of me by putting me in jail for not vaccinating when it would have become apparent that the other 80% of the population were not being vaccinated. So... That was the reason why I didn't get put in jail was because apartheid was beginning to crack. Wow. So, in a sense, you were 
almost lucky in a sense, I guess. Mm, mm, the timing was was just right for getting away with it. Yeah, yeah. And and what did you quickly learn, Wendy, from from diving into this research? Well, I learned that um, the severe reactions to vaccination that had occurred in my family were not rare. That they, you know, that they're actually really, really common. And another thing that really shocked me was that um, in the 200 years that vaccination had been um, practiced, nobody had done any studies on the effectiveness of vaccines or their side effects, any scientific studies. There were a whole lot of fake studies, not fake, but just, you know, like sham poor, studies. Poorly, uh, yeah, poorly done studies. Poorly and, put together to, mm. to achieve the end that they wanted. Um, but there was no study, and still is no study, that compares chronic diseases in vaccinated and unvaccinated um, children. And, and and nobody collected data. Um, Zayas was only established in about 1986. And even then, it doesn't do a good job of collecting data. You know, So I was mm. really shocked when I discovered that this, they'd been doing this for all this time without bothering to collect any data. Is there a uh, a VAERS type, uh, which is of course the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System? Is there a VAERS type uh, portal thing uh, in South Africa that records this sort of stuff? Uh, there is now. There wasn't when my um, children were born. Mm. But it's also it's it's you know if the doctor feels like it, he might report it. It's that sort of situation. It's not an actual collection of data. Yeah, they don't want to bite the hand that feeds them, do they? I mean, <laughs> that's there seems to be a lot of industry manipulation with regards to, of course, the big pharmaceutical giants, um, you know, throwing money at all of these doctors and things, you know, taking them on vacations and, and junkets and, you know, seminars in Hawaii and, you know, providing their uh, general practices with, you know, funding and supplies and everything they need to kind of get it up and running. So, of course, they don't want to then uh, turn on the very products that these uh, companies are pushing and providing all this stuff for these guys now, do they? It's a very um, well, massive conflict of interest. There's, a, there's another factor which is as important as money, and that is prestige. Um most people in Western society worship doctors. They think they're many gods, you know, and they will always do what a doctor tells them. And they always think the doctor's never wrong. And doctors like that. And if they, when they encounter someone who says, no, actually vaccination's a bad thing, that really makes them feel very unsettled and because it's, it could damage their prestige. So that's why they won't admit that vaccines do so much harm. Mm. And now, obviously, we're not talking about, you know, doctors that are like, you know, great surgeons and all this sort of stuff. We're talking about your your, your family doctors, your general practice, your, you know, your, these kind of doctors that in, you know, perhaps even emergency doctors as well. But these are the people who are, are the ones that actually administer vaccination or, or they then get the nurses to do the dirty work for them. Um, you know, there are, I don't want to sort of harp on the fact you know there are good doctors out there really life-saving mm. type surgeons like there are there's fantastic medicine being done in the world like good good medicine um but there's a lot of shonky stuff that goes along with it of course mm. uh, and that's the kind of thing mm. that i guess you know you're referring to which is that a lot of these doctors yeah like i said they um they don't seem to know too much about health in regards to how to keep people healthy or to make people healthy they really know a lot more about 
uh, how to fill out a prescription pad. (laughs) That seems to be what medicine is these days when you go to a doctor. Yeah, well, let me take your temperature. Let let me feel this. Let me feel that. Oh, here's this drug. You know, that's that's what medicine is these days when you go to a doctor. Well, they're trained to prescribe drugs Mm -hmm. or send you for tests. And then you get sent for tests and supposing you've got diabetes, the test shows you've got diabetes. They don't then say, okay, you should go to a homeopath so that you can be cured of your diabetes. They just say, oh, well, you mustn't eat sugar. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they can't actually cure the chronic diseases. That's right. That's, you're exactly right. Uh, and, and, we, and you mentioned just before about you know, we hold these people up with such high esteem. You know, we've got the white lab coats on and it's, they're all, it's, they're the new, we've, we've talked about this many times in the podcast, but it's just, I found it funny that you said it because we often refer to these guys, you know, it's the new priest class, you know, gone are the days when mm. uh, people worshipped, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, like the, the church and, and all, you know, religion, all this sort of stuff. Now it's science. It's, it's the new religion of oh. science and scientism. Oh. You know, it's scientism is what it is. Yeah. So we, we often talk about that on the show. I was just, I, I like that you kind of brought that up yourself. You didn't, I didn't have to bring you to bring you towards that conclusion. You, you're well aware of that yourself. And I mean, look, it doesn't really take a, a, a genius to work that out. Everyone can sort of see this now. You know, these, these people, that's what it's all about. It's just creating this priest class known as uh, scientists in there. Instead of uh, the big gowns that priests would wear, it's now white lab coats. And, you know, we, we must rely on the so-called experts. They're always, they're always rolling out these experts, aren't they, Wendy, on these, you know, morning TV uh-huh. shows when they're talking about disease <laughs> or vaccination. They always roll out an, an expert. Oh, let's refer to this expert, uh-huh. you know. Oh, it makes me sick. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, now, I'll just I'll go to that question I had for you a little bit earlier that we were going through. Um, so I said, how, how has modern medicine come to get it so wrong when dealing with childhood diseases specifically? Um, The reason is because during the 1800s, they managed to extract aspirin from willow bark. And the locals had been sort had been chewing the willow bark as a painkiller. But then once the the drug industry started trying to use it as a painkiller, they found that it also had the side effect of suppressing fever. So then they thought, oh, well, if we're going to sell this product, we've got to tell everyone that fever is a bad thing and you must suppress fever. And still today, doctors and nurses are taught that you must treat measles by giving a drug to suppress fever. And even worse, that you must chill them, blow cold air at them, take off their clothes, and this is what causes terrible complications like pneumonia and even death. Wow. So I have heard of that too. Like you, you shouldn't, you should never try and suppress a fever. Obviously the body's doing what it can. It raises its, you know, its core temperature to try and, I guess, you know, burn off or get rid of whatever the toxic element is that's inside the body, whether it be some sort of germ or something. I mean, to be honest, um, I'm, I've been learning a lot and dealing a lot with the whole, you know, terrain theory and germ theory stuff of late. So um, whether it's whether it is some sort of microbe that is causing a disease or disease in the body, I should say, uh, or or it's some sort of toxin that may have invaded the body and it's causing a, a fever that the child may have, or even an adult for that matter, 
Uh, but I've always, yeah, um, I've I've heard that a lot. I've been I've known that for a long time that you should never try and suppress a fever. You can try and make a you know the, the patient or the the person suffering from a fever, I guess, as comfortable as possible. But uh, the body is doing what it's it's supposed to do. Is that is that right, Wendy? Um, yes. Well, I had also heard this. I'd heard naturopaths and homeopaths saying, "Oh no, you mustn't suppress fever. That's the wrong thing to do." But when I started researching it, I found that there are hundreds of studies published in medical journals showing that suppressing fever is a dangerous thing to do. So the science shows that you should not suppress fever. But of course, <laughs> they don't teach science in medical school. Wow, that's full on. That's amazing. There's that many uh, actual papers, scientific papers that have been published that, that actually say this very basic fact of uh, of not suppressing a fever due, because it's dangerous and obviously there are complications involved. Wow, that's full on. Um, yeah, and but... fever doesn't do any damage. It doesn't cause brain damage. Some 4% of people, of children, um, experience a, a febrile con convul convulsion. convulsion when they have um, a, a fever, when it rises really fast. And um, that does not cause brain damage. But, of course, it terrifies the parents. And then when the doctor comes around, he says, oh, well, take a paracetamol and then it'll all be over, you know. Because the doctor's got to feel useful. Well, I've, uh, I never knew that, actually, that it can actually cause those febrile convulsions. Um, yeah, and look, as a fever parent... Can, it can, in a small proportion of people, but it does not cause brain damage. You see, that what the vaccine industry, or at least the drug industry does is it says, oh, you know, if your child has a convulsion from um, a fever, then that can damage its brain permanently. So you mustn't let fever rise. And that's not true. The science shows that it's not true. Yeah, I mean, and I, I understand what you're saying too, because as a, as a parent myself, I mean, if I had a small child in front of me that all of a sudden had a fever going through the roof and, and started convulsing, oh my gosh, like, yeah, you'd, you'd be quite shocked and you'd be very alarmed and you'd be you'd be rushing them to an emergency room or you'd be on the phone trying to get the ambulance there, you know, like it would be very scary. It's very scary stuff. But I guess it all comes back to that, that, that fact that you, you've got to do, you kind of got to do your homework. And when you find out this, that these things, yes, it might be uncomfortable. And, and, you know, if the if the child is, you know, jerking around on the, on the ground, you're just making them comfortable yeah. and stuff, you know, and, and trying to protect them a little bit from, from injuring themselves by flailing about or something. Um, that's probably all you really need to do until it subsides, you know? Uh, and the fact that it doesn't, doesn't harm the brain is another massive thing yeah. that people just don't know. And I never knew that actually. Yeah. And I thank you for actually yeah. letting me know because I can always pass it on to people. That's, um, that's, yeah. that's good news. Well, the references that support these things that I'm saying are all published in my book. Oh, that's excellent the references, too. References to the studies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that you say that on the front of your um, the cover of your actual book too, fully referenced, uh, which mm. is very important because everyone's always going, "Oh, mm. you know, what's the sources? Where's the sources for this?" Because you know they want to know, um, and when you when you mm. actually provide that for them, it um, yeah, it's in your face. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I, I had a question here. I said. Um, Childhood diseases in the past maybe were at a time uh, and based on, I guess, access to things like maybe clean food and water and, you know, the living conditions and so forth. Um, you know, childhood diseases back in the day may have been, I guess, more of a threat <clears throat> to, to families and to children themselves. 
because we don't have no, the society we're in now. No. Like, you know, we have a lot more access to clean water and food and clean air and, no. you know, we're not around toxic environments as much now. Um, no, would you no, think there's no, a difference? Yeah. Um, well, it depended. Like in the past, there have been lots of different communities um, and some had access to clean water and some didn't. Some had access to water. Some didn't, like in, in Britain in the 1930s during the Depression, there was a lot of deaths from measles because people didn't have warmth in their houses. And when children got measles, they got really cold and some of them died. Um, you know, so at, at different times, it's been different. But hygiene plays no role in, um, in fact, in, in the um, self-resolving infectious diseases like measles and mumps and chickenpox. Uh, you can't prevent them with good hygiene. You can't prevent them with good nutrition um, because nature wants the child to have it because they're actually beneficial in the long run as long as they're properly managed when they happen. Right, and that's the key part. So can we? Can you perhaps elaborate on the, on that fact, the properly managed side of things? Will yes, you well, just elaborate on it for two, us? Two most important things. Don't give a drug to suppress fever. And don't let the child get chilled and cold. In fact, keep them nice and warm. With measles, they need to be kept very warm. With chickenpox, not so warm. Just make sure they don't actually get chilled. Um, you know, and rubella also—it's not not so dangerous. Whooping cough, um, very important to keep them warm, even when they're an older child and they're not in much danger from whooping cough. They, they must be kept warm, but they don't have to stay in bed if they're an older child with whooping cough. Whereas an infant with whooping cough, now that's a problem. Um, and it, in Australia, you keep hearing these stories about babies dying and they got pneumonia in hospital because the hospital is air conditioned and they don't bother to keep the baby warm and they give them a whole bunch of toxic drugs. And then the baby dies of pneumonia because you, um, they're very susceptible to pneumonia when they have whooping cough. And then they blame the whooping cough, or, or rather they blame all the people in the community who aren't vaccinated, or mm. the children in the community who aren't vaccinated. So, you know, it's, it's a bit complicated. Um, you can't just say, oh, well, nowadays we have clean water, so therefore measles isn't a problem. Because nowadays, parents are told to, to chill their child and, um, and give them a drug to suppress the fever, and that's dangerous more dangerous than being an African in Central Africa 300 years ago getting measles. Yeah, well. Where, you know, they, they, were, they lived a sort of natural life and it was warm and um, the death rate then wasn't as, as high. Nowadays in Central Africa, there's a lot of poverty and people who are very, children who are very malnourished, they can't produce a fever. The immune system is so damaged by malnutrition that they can't produce a fever and the fever protects against measles while the process of measles is happening. So a few years ago, there were 15,000 deaths from measles in Central Africa and those were all very poor children, um, some of them vaccinated, who, um, who were so malnourished that they couldn't produce a fever and they couldn't get through the measles okay. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. That's incredible, actually. What about things like in you know indigenous populations in Australia? Have you um, come across the similar sort of things happening 
in any research you've discovered with regards to you know in, in the indigenous folks uh, in like outback Australia or you know far north Queensland and things like that? Well, I read Dr. Archie Kayla Karinas's book, and I've met Archie, and I've spent quite a bit of time with him. Um, he's deceased now, um, and of course, his line was that um, the, his patients in the outback were very malnourished. And actually, there was an interesting thing where he managed to get the powers that be to set up a study to see whether um, giving these children who were hospitalized because they were so sick um, vitamins would help their survival. And um, the powers that be sabotaged the study by starting those children on the vitamins three months before this actual study started so that it actually meant that there was no difference after, you know, once the study started. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the, no, the, the dirty games that this system plays, hey, to get those results oh. that they want. Oh, I mean, we've already mentioned that earlier, but there's another example oh. of it. Wow. It just oh. shows how little regard they have for human life. Yeah, well, it's all about profit, you know. That, that's what matters mm -hmm. to these people, yeah. They're, they're a business, they're a corporation, a corporation must make money for its shareholders that's 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 the rule and the law of a corporation so they do whatever it takes to do that to achieve that goal uh and the, at, at the very cost of of human life and human suffering it means nothing to a corporation these uh you know that's just mm -hmm. what that's now just simply a fact of life and we need to be aware of that because we see it all the time and it's on us to then uh avoid it at all costs um now in terms of um just speaking about australia now, I, mean, I uh, alluded to just in the pre-show chat, um, the current vaccine schedule for Australia, just before we go further on into the question, are you currently aware of how many vaccinations are, or doses or whatever you want to call it uh, on the Australian vaccination schedule? Uh, currently 40. It used to be 39, but it's gone up to 40. 40 by the age of, does it have an age oh, limit? But, so, for, say that, so 40 doses of vaccine Four zero by vaccine the fifth before the fifth birthday. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my God. It just does my head in. And, of course, they're That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. So, uh, that list, it, it, we know it's ever-expanding. I mean, I know when I was a child, I think I may have gotten, you know, four or five more well, maybe four or six or something you know in, including even in high school i don't even remember getting any vaccines i think in primary school i did and then when i was of course a little one before school i know i got a couple but yeah it stopped there i've never had one since um but that list is is of course ever expanding and you know it's it's more and it's more important now than ever to to avoid it really i mean wow uh, do you are you um privy to any information as to you know where they want to take that schedule because i know in the united states it's something like 68 or something isn't it like it's incredibly it's higher than us it is higher than us i think it's 48 oh okay before Four, the fifth birthday 48 yeah. before the fifth birthday so we're <laughs> currently sitting at 40 I, I, mm -hmm. I bet you expectant parents out there or couples that are planning on having children, I guess even just the public in general, probably aren't even aware of that fact that there are 40 uh, doses on the schedule before the f before yeah. they're five. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, no wonder there is 
such an, an epidemic of of chronic disease in in children i mean you know mm-hmm. you, you just need to visit any hospital in any major city and you know these 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 leukemia child leukemia and cancer wards and all this sort of, they're, they're overflowing you know they're, they're pouring out the windows because there's that many children in these things and they're always trying to expand them uh and adding beds to all these things because um there's just so many kids these days that are falling victim to this you know that um, the state of Victoria has a, a politician by the name of Jill Hennessy. And a few years ago, she was the Minister for Health. Yes, I'm Victoria. well aware of her. We've covered her in the past when she was <laughs> that minister, yes. And she often wagged her jaw saying that vaccines are 100% safe. And then she would go on to say, it's a complete mystery why there's such an increase in chronic disease in children these days. Yep, yep, yep. I know exactly what you're talking about because back in the day when she was that health minister and we've got, you know, I've even saved footage of her when she was on TV saying that exact line you just said of uh, they're 100% safe and effective and you should all get your vaccines, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah, you're right. Oh, we're just unsure of the, of the you know, why <laughs> there's such an epidemic of chronic disease. It's a complete mystery. It's a complete mystery. Oh, there's so much chronic disease in children these days. Yeah, yeah, we've covered her extensively in the past. So anyone who wants to, any of you listeners who are curious about her, just type in Jill Hennessy uh, into my search engine on realnewsaustralia.com and you can, you can go and read all about her. Oh, wow. Um, now, I wanted to just, just moving in another direction here. So uh, I said, like I read up the description of your uh, book there. So explain what you've discovered in regards to the relationship between vaccination campaigns and the global epidemic of chronic disease. Like what's the relationship then, you know, you've actually uncovered and written and talked about? Well, it's just a coincidental relationship, you know, like the the, the number of vaccines increase, number of children with chronic diseases increase. There are no actual studies. On this, because why would um, the vaccine industry do a study that could end up with them losing money? You know, they only do studies that that are, are going to promote vaccines. Mm. I thought I, I could have sworn I'd come across one or saw some. It, it was in another country, but I swear there was a study done on. Uh... You know, those studies that have been done are not scientifically done and it's not their fault it's because they don't have two million dollars to to do a study um, it's passive reporting like for instance there's a homeopath in Germany who has asked people to report their children's health and what usually happens is that the first child gets vaccinated and gets damaged and then subsequent children are not vaccinated so the parents can report that the vaccinated child has got a problem whereas the other children are fit and well. But that sort of passive reporting isn't a scientific study. You need a proper scientific study to be done. And the vaccine industry won't do it, and no government will do it. Mm. Yeah, okay, so that's what it was. It wasn't, uh, yeah, an actual proper yeah. scientific there study. There are a, a few. A collection a few of the... Yeah, so a collection <laughs> of anecdotal <laughs> information instead yes. of... Yeah.
Alone in New York City. 